0: hi everybody and welcome to the Junction church podcast we pray that this message inspires and encourages you if you would like to find out any more information about us then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com thank you for listening this morning and, and, and this evening as well we'll be continuing our only human series and I feel like this is quite a quite a cool week this is in my mind, it's is particularly with what the kids are doing. They're after the party, after, well, while we're having our meeting up here in the evening, they're going to have a superheroes party downstairs. But I feel like it's superhero Sunday, superhero Sunday in the house, because this morning I'm going to be speaking about King David and touching on his sort of his uh, his his battle or or, or his uh, I don't know his. When he took on Goliath, but Pastor Kevin this evening is going to be bringing on Samson. So it's like these two mega action heroes in the Bible. It's going to be so much fun. I feel like we're having a double header of Schwarzenegger and Stallone. It's like we're coming in. I'm going to watch. I'm going to watch Die Hard and Lethal Weapon at the same time. I'm really excited. This feels really cool. Like the two like action heroes. Yeah, we had Esther for the women last week, but this week we've got the action heroes. Sorry, it's not really as sort of stereotypical as that, but I do totally feel like David versus Goliath and Samson, you know. Imagine those two together, they caused some damage. <laughs> anyway, yes, yeah, so it feels like we're in a bit of an Avengers movie today. <laughs> but the, the cool thing about the series is we're really looking at people from the Bible and, and, and looking at what it was that made them sort of successful. Uh, why were they so effective in fulfilling God's will. These normal people who did extraordinary deeds. And, 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 and to sort of see, well, well what was it about them? Because they were just normal people. You know, we read about them in the Bible and it was you know, a long time ago. But the reality is these were normal people who did extraordinary things. And we want to see capture because it's in the Bible for a purpose. It's in the Bible for a reason. It's in there to teach us truth and principles and foundations on which we can grow our lives upon and see extraordinary deeds done in our lives, take our normals, take our naturalness, and see supernatural things happen. So that's what we're talking about. So I'm going to start off by talking about Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson. Now, I chose Mike Tyson because unlike football players, unlike rugby players, unlike golf players, unlike tennis players, the reality is probably at least 90% of the people in this room have heard of Mike Tyson. Everybody has heard of Mike Tyson. Now, I'm not saying that he's a good person, but there's, there's no, there is a reality that in terms of boxing, he was one of the most destructive, you know, thing, phenomenons in boxing. He was a ferocious competitor. He was a student of the game. Most people don't realise that. And technically very proficient. Everyone sort of thinks he's just this sort of rock'em, sock'em robot. But in actual fact, he, he was a real student and he knew what he was doing. And uh, He used to knock people out. He'd knock them into a different stratosphere. Told you. <laughs> Superhero Sunday. <laughs> but here's the truth. At the end of it all, at the end of a, a career that, where he was one of the most famous people on this earth, uh, he was totally bankrupt. Totally bankrupt. In fact, it's estimated that of his fortune, he squandered between 350 and $400 million. Wow. Oh, my goodness. That's like a deficit of certain countries. <laughs> he set, spent on white tigers and stuff like that. You know, and not not just that, not just that he squandered, because to be honest, you know, many, many athletes have squandered their fortunes. uh, But also, he was in prison. He was in prison during probably the prime, or potentially could have been the prime of his career. I'm not talking a little stint, but, you know, serious crime in prison for a serious amount of time came out. And and to be honest, in the mid-2000s, the the amount of stories you would hear about him, really, I I don't know about you guys, I, I was sort of just sort of becoming aware of the greater world in, in that sort of time, uh, you just thought that, really, you were going to read in the paper when week he was dead. I mean, in the reality, you just thought it's in a, it's, it's a mir- miracle. It's a miracle that he is alive today. Because the story is the stuff that he did to his body. And, and the point I'm making over this, point I'm making this, there is no doubt that that man was very talented. Na- ve- just, just an awesome talent. But talent is natural. That's the point I want to make today. You look at his life. You look at what he could do, what he could accomplish. Uh, and whether you love boxing or hate boxing, it's sort of irrelevant because that's not the point. The point was that he had a talent, but that talent was natural. It was totally natural because it didn't stop him screwing up anything in his life. You know, you look at it and you might think, well, you know, but talents from God. My elbows are from God. <laughs> Tell you what, man just gets better as it goes up <laughs> we didn't practice that we didn't practice that honest feels like we did <laughs> but uh, i got ahead for numbers that was from god that's part of god's design for me yeah. but i'm still flawed i still have uh, uh you know and, and and the gifts and the talents of my life you know they they decay just just like any athlete you know father time is undefeated you know you all that stuff is natural it doesn't matter how supernatural it might look talent is a naturally occurring thing and although it is from God it's not the same as the supernatural and what I'm going to do today is I'm going to study David uh, King David and it's, it's I'm looking at the sort of the part of his life between where he was anointed to be king and he faced Goliath now once again I imagine most of you in this room will have heard that so I'm going to do it slightly differently uh, many, I don't know if, how many of you would know there was a film that came out about 15 years ago, called, called Memento and the thing about Memento the, the hook in Memento was it did everything in reverse it told you a story in reverse and I'm going to tell you the story uh, or go through the story of David and Goliath in reverse because we all know that David defeated Goliath don't we? so there's no point in sort of saying oh guess what happened did he beat him, did he not? <laughs> we all know that he beat him so let's start there. Let's start about the fact David beat Goliath. He had victory over Goliath. I, I'm, I'm going to touch on a bunch of films I never really actually meant to, but I've realised because it's probably because I've set myself up with Superhero Sunday. Uh, but you know these films, uh, Gladiator is the one that sticks in my mind, where there's just these great monologues by, by Russell Crowe where he sort of tells the baddie what he's going to do to him and then goes and does it. And I, this is, for me, this is one of the most amazing sort of s- sort of words from David. And it's not just this sort of self-gratifying message. It's, it's one full of faith, one full of determination. I'm going to read it to you quickly. I'm not going to read the whole story because, uh, I, as Kevin said last week, that would be boring if I did that. So uh, uh, I'm going to just sort of hit here and there, and, and, and hopefully uh, it will all pull together. But I'm going to read this. It says, in uh, 1 Samuel 17:45 to 50, it said, David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give your carcass to the Philistine army, to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is God. God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by the sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him, reaching into his bag, taking out a stone. He slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The uh, the stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. That's a great passage. That gets a... Oh man, that puts the hairs at the back of my head up. He threw a stone. He threw a stone at this, this, this warrior. And I'll get on to who Goliath is in a minute. But he threw a stone at this, uh, at this warrior and took him down. And he set the Philistine army. He set the whole Philistine army that was set up for battle to flight. And they crushed them. It was the beginning. It was that sort of catalyst to a mighty and amazing victory. He was, from that point onward, he was beloved by the people he was beloved, he made the king jealous, he was so beloved by the people, and he was rewarded by the king, he was given great rewards by the king from that moment, that is a pinnacle moment, that's a great moment, that's like a standing on a mountain moment, you look at that moment and think, wow, wouldn't it have been great to have been David in that moment, you look at that victory, what amazing victory, you don't, it doesn't really matter if people have been to church or not, that the, the idea, the term David and Goliath is so well known, everybody knows the term David and Goliath, people don't know every single detail of it but you could speak to somebody who's probably never been to church and the term the idea the idea of a a a small boy against a mighty giant and winning David and Goliath is just there's no thing so it's it it resonates and it's a cultural reference you know everybody knows about it but it didn't just happen and that's why I want to get to there's a few things that David had to overcome to get to that place It didn't just happen. Like with most victories and most successes, you don't just wake up one morning and find yourself on top of the mountain. The first thing I want to say is nobody believed. First of all, Goliath. Goliath mocked and threatened him. It says in uh, 1 Samuel 17:42 to 44, And when the Philistine looked around and saw David, he scorned and despised him, for he was but an adolescent with a healthy reddish color and a fair face. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you should come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his dogs. The Philistine said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and beasts of the field. He's just, he, he despised him. He looked at him and said, what, what is this? What am I, a dog? Like, who are you to come against me? I am mighty. I have made everyone scared of me. Who are you? Here's the thing. Growing up in school, I'm, I'm quite short quite now. You probably have noticed that. I am standing <laughs> on a step. But I was even shorter when I was at school. And <laughs> unfortunately, I wasn't one of those kids that had a growth spurt and then just sort of stopped. That would have been cool. But, uh, you know, I, I, I can appreciate what it's like as, as, as a kid. Kids are horrible to each other, let's be honest. Yeah. And uh, as a kid, as a small kid, you are at the mercy of bigger kids. You just yeah. are. You know, and, and, and that can be kind of difficult. You bigger kids out there better know that. Right? <laughs> Look at you, Neil. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, and, but, yeah, as a small person... There is there is something totally disheartening about being sort of threatened and mocked by a bigger person by someone bigger than you because there is l- there's nothing you can do about it as, as a bigger person as an equal-sized person as a peer you at least have you can at least look them in the eye but uh, as a small person there's it is it is a really disheartening and, and threatening position to be in to be looked down upon by someone bigger and and, and larger than you and, and and for them to mock you for them to say stuff to you that you have no way of coming back at them and that and and you have to look at you have to think about it. these aren't just we read them just as words but you have to think about what it would have been like he was this young adolescent and this was a mighty giant and he was saying these things to him, saying what I'm going to do to you in a natural sense it would be terrifying and then you look at the king the king told him he had no chance it says in 1 Samuel seventeen thirty three, and Saul said to David you are not able to go and fight against this Philistine you are only an adolescent and he has been a warrior from his youth Thanks, King. Really needed that pep talk there. <laughs> really appreciate that. And I, once again, I, I can remember times at school. There was, there was a time in school where uh, I do engineering now, and maths is a part of my job, and I actually love doing maths. But there was a time when I was in school, and, and I was really struggling with my maths. Uh, and I remember I'd, for all the way up to my prelims, I'd failed every single exam, like really badly, some of them. And we got to pre- prelims, and I'd had some uh, tutoring from, from a woman at church who'd really helped me out and really helped me understand some of the concepts that just went over my head. And I got into that exam, and I passed it with 51%. Just passed it, but it was a pass. And the teacher said afterwards, said, I'm going to go around uh, everyone in the class who failed the exam because, uh, you know, you probably will fail it next time around. And, uh, you know, once again, great encouragement, teacher. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we'll sign you up for next year. Because this was fifth year, and there was still sixth year to go. And she went around with class and she came to me and she said, so uh, do you want me to put you down for next year? I said, oh no, I passed. And she said, yeah, but only just. (laughs) 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 Only just. (laughs) It's like, I'll tell you what, I'm definitely going to pass the next one. (laughs) Got a B. Awesome. But uh, I'll tell you what, man alive, that was, it was discouraging. It was also quite inspiring because I was like, I'm going to show her. But... uh, (laughs) But to have an authority figure kind of cut the legs out from underneath you. Have to have a king who is, you know, he's, he, Saul was like a, a, like a warrior as well. And, and for him to say, nah, you've got no chance. I'm not sending you out there. You get, you're going to get slaughtered by this guy. But then he, then he gave him. Then, then after David sort of convinced him and told him a bit about who he was and, and shared a bit of his heart. And, and, and so Saul said, well, you're all right. Okay, I'm going to give you this heavy armor and i reckon in his mind saying like, i'm going to give you this heavy armor to protect you from the beating you're almost certainly going to endure it says then in uh, 1 samuel 17:38 said, then Saul clothed David with his armor he put a bronze helmet on his head and clothed him with a cloak of mail and david girded his sword uh, over, his che- over his armor then he tried to go but could not for he was not used to it This is the dumbest thing ever. Have you ever noticed right after somebody tells you you can't do something, they then give you some really bad advice on how you think you may be able to do it? Has anyone ever had that? No, you can't do that, but here's some great advice. I mean, you look at David. He's probably, from a natural looking point of view, his only advantage would have been his agility and his speed. Oh, let's put this really heavy armor on you. That'll take that advantage away. This guy's got a really long sword. We'll give you a shorter one. (laughs) It's like the stupidest advice. It's like... Obviously, if you're thinking along those lines, no, definitely don't let him do it. But uh, <laughs> I think that's funny. It's the amount of people who give you terrible advice right after they've just told you. Don't believe somebody. somebody maybe this is, this is not from the Bible or anything, but if somebody doesn't believe in you, maybe don't take their advice. <laughs> like, I don't know. If not, someone's like sort of not in, in your camp, then probably their advice is a little bit flawed. Find someone who believes in you. Or, 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 you know, find someone who you trust. Maybe that's a better thing. And they will, they'll give you some good advice. And maybe the advice is to take a step back. But in this instance, it was terrible advice. And then finally, you look at his brother. His brother, his big brother. Probably the person you look up to. I don't have a big brother. I am the big brother. But I'm sure my little brothers look up to me. <laughs> uh, and it said in uh, 1 Samuel 17, 28. Now, Elab his eldest brother heard what he had said to the men and Elab's anger was kindled against uh, David. And he said, why did you come here? With whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know the presumption and evilness of your heart, for you came down here that you might see a battle. That's not very encouraging. That's your big brother saying, "Ah." you're a horrible little run, get lost, you know. That's, that's, what's the encouragement of that? There's none at all. Nobody believed in David. He went into that with not a single person saying, great idea, David, you should go and do it. Everyone said, it's a terrible idea and you're going to get killed and what are you doing here anyway? Next thing is the fear. And we, this, this this all takes place in the, uh, a place called the Valley of Elah. And, and, and the fear... Is something that doesn't get communicated in the Bible because I don't think because David was looking at this from a different perspective, and so he's writing it, and so I don't think that comes across. But once again, I'm looking at this slightly from a natural point of view. Goliath was a warrior. He was a giant man. You can read about how big he was and how large his weapons were and all that kind of stuff. But you have to understand that that he had what what we would maybe refer to as talent great talent. As a warrior, he was a very talented warrior. He he enjoyed huge physical advantages over all of his adversaries. He was tried and tested from his youth, it says. He had been used to battle and he stood there very confidently knowing that nobody in that Israelite army could stand against him. David, it talks about how David managed to look after the sheep and take care of bears and lions, but this is a different animal altogether he might have been able to beat lions and 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 bears but but this was a this was a, a warrior a huge warrior who had completely different physical skills and experience than he did he had not ever been in battle before he'd fought wild animals but this was a this was a killer really in, in every sense and and when you look at those sort of physical advantages i know i've uh, I played like sports like basketball. I played basketball with Neil. Neil, you're six foot five, right? Six. Is that all? <laughs> Goodness. Is that all? <laughs> Fair point. Fair point. I am a hobbit. Uh, <laughs> The truth is, like, it's not even a competition. It's not even a competition because he, not only is he much taller than me, but he actually knows how to play basketball. And so he just jumps over me and just goes over me. It's not even a competition because physically speaking, we're not even playing the same sport. However, however, that is not the case when we play foosball. That is not the case when we play foosball. There is nobody who could make Neil feel more impotent <laughs> than me when I play foosball. How many times? I've, I've lost count. Is it like so 10, 20, 100? I'm not sure. Have you ever scored against me? I don't think so. Don't get me started on sort of Hattie Minty over there. Talk about an inflated reputation. <laughs> Come in talking about how good she is. Nah, no chance. Aye. So, you know, when it comes to football, amazing. Doosan, don't look at me. We t- promised we'd never talk about it. It only happened once and it didn't mean anything. <laughs> Talking about football, yeah. <laughs> for everyone home. For everyone home. There was an annoying wink there. We're talking about football. <laughs> table football, sorry, table football for everyone who doesn't know. Table football. Yes, it's not even like a real sport, but I am quite good at it. <laughs> there we go. Uh, but he had, you know there was nothing that David on a, on a natural level could do against this man. This this man was was head and shoulders above him, his weapons were larger, bigger, stronger. You know, there was just, it, was, it wasn't what you would look at as a fair, fair fight. Uh, Another thing is, every single word of this man stood in defiance of God. It says in 1 Samuel 17, 10 to 11, Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let, me fight, uh, let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' word, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. He intimidated the armies of Israel. Not just individuals, but the entire army. Uh, it, it, says, it says in uh, 1 Samuel 17, 24, And all the men of Israel, saw. Uh, when they saw the man, fled from him terrified. He was seemingly insurmountable. And not just that, he wanted them. He was after them. He was saying words. He was trying to draw them out. And it was incessant. It was completely discouraging. It says in 1 Samuel 17, 16, For 40 days the Philistine came out every morning and evening and took his stand. It was incessant. I I think that's one of the... uh, uh, The oppression of bullying isn't as much the actual confrontation. It's just the consistent and persistent fear of it happening. Just knowing that at any moment something could happen. This guy stood out there 40 days and 40 nights and, 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 and just taunted them and intimidated them. And, and that must have been just so discouraging. That created just this bound of fear over the entire army. It was demoralising. And then, and then the, the third thing I want to say is the rejection. The rejection that David faced. He faced fear and he faced nobody believing him. But he actually faced rejection as well. We touched on it earlier. His oldest brother despised him. And, and David's response, he says, what have I done now? What is, was, it, was it not a harmless question? From that I take it that he is used to his brother giving him a hard time, his big brother sort of looking down, pushing him away. What have I done now? What have I done now? <sighs> Can I do nothing right in your eyes? He was anointed by Samuel, but his own father hid him away. He brought out, bring out all your sons. Yeah, I'll bring out all my sons except for this one, and I'll put him all the way over here. He was not even brought out in front of Samuel the prophet to be to be even examined for anointing. He, he kept him far away. He, he, he would rather, he was looking after sheep and and you know, sort of keeping away the lions and the bears. I, I, you have to wonder a little bit. You know, with the stuff that he had to de- in, uh, deal with, you know, what was his life even worth? What was his life even worth to his family? In the hierarchy of his family, was he was he even more of a servant? When you look into it, now this is not a, a defined fact, but it's certainly something that I think, uh, I, I believe in, and, and, and think that there's a lot of sort of evidence for in the Bible. But there's a quite likely chance he was born out of wedlock. It says in Psalms 51, 5, and this is David speaking, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. And you look at his family tree, and he's got these half-sisters that uh, have a father who is a king of a heathen nation. And, you know, there's, there's, it doesn't say he was born of wedlock. but you look at his, look, he was, bring out all your sons, but he didn't bring him out. He was kept away. There's a lot to say that. And, and did he represent shame in his father's eyes? Did his father not really want to acknowledge him as being his son? says he was definitely his son. He was definitely Jesse's son. But who was his mother and where did it lie? He was, there, was, there was this rejection that sat upon his life. Born of sin and possibly sort of, uh, sort of defiled in some way as well. And then you look at Samuel. Samuel didn't even want to anoint him. He was still mourning Saul. God told him, stop mourning Saul. But he was so sad about the last king that, that, that God had to shake him out of that. And he would have rather, he saw these other sons, these tall and handsome and athletic sons. He was like, I want to do all these These guys. These guys are almost certainly ready, uh, going to be the next king. Humans desire, humans desire recognition for their accomplishments. And, and David received none. It wasn't like he was brought out and everyone else was clapping going, yeah, that's well done. David, he absolutely deserves to be anointed king not at all not at all it was, he was—he fr- actually says he was anointed in front of his brothers he didn't say anything about his brothers clapping him on the back and saying what a great job you totally deserve it his father had hidden him away so he had had none of that stuff he hadn't been built up by people I don't believe he'd been built up by people throughout his life but what is it then? what is the thing that separated him? what is the thing that, where God even called him in the first place? well I'm going to read um, three, three different scriptures here and it's, they're sort of out of order but I think they will tell the story really well. The first bit is, this is Samuel, where he's speaking to Saul. So Samuel the prophet is speaking to Saul, the previous king. And when, he's at, when he's king, and uh, it's in 1 Samuel 13, uh, verse 13 to 14. And it says, And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would, uh, for now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And it goes on in in Acts 13 verse uh, 22, it says, After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man After my own heart, he will do everything I want him to do. And then in 1 Samuel 16, verse 12 to 13, it says, So he sent for him, that's Samuel sent for David. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of uh, oil, and anointed him in the presence of his brothers, and from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel anointed David, and the spirit was upon him powerfully that day. Now, now we we since. Uh, Jesus died for our sins and, 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 and created a new covenant. The Spirit is something that we, we can have invited into our lives uh, uh, just just when we ask God to come into our lives but we 're talking about a time here before that covenant was in place, and the Holy Spirit came upon people for specific times and specific reasons and and, and, and this is so this is David who had a heart after god 's own heart, but the spirit of God was not upon him; he was just uh, he was He was sort of searching for God, he loved God, he worshiped God, but the spirit of God, his holy spirit did not reside within him It had not been uh, it had not been called upon his life yet uh, Saul and elab the, his brother and, and the previous king, their hearts were proud and self serving they, they had they had something about what they wanted to do, but david 's heart. Was humbled before God. He actually longed after God. He, his heart was one of worship towards God. You, you read some of the, the, the Psalms, and there's just this tremendous love towards God. This tremendous love of of what he, uh, what he wants, and, and and you just know that. You, you read about it, and you read about what God testified over his life that there was there was a love that David had for for God, and and, and just that he longed after him. When the Spirit filled God, it put direction to that desire direction to that desire the state of his heart was now guided along the paths that god wanted him to walk saul saul did what he Saul, the previous king had done what god wanted when it lined with what he wanted that that was the way it kind of worked he, he did whatever god said as long as he wanted to do it and if he didn't want to do it or he felt certain pressures to do something else he would do something else but david longed for the same things that god did he wasn't, he wasn't coerced into following God. He Rather, he actually did so willingly. And the Spirit provided guidance and direction to the willingness to serve God. See, desire after God creates a permanent, a permanency of our confession as opposed to sort of a temporary one, one that can be swayed by whatever is going on around us. See, desire is a natural trait, but righteousness is a trait of, this, uh, of, of holiness. And combined... uh, where where a person receives the Spirit, you you find a place where you have righteous desires, where your motives are pure, where you have a heart after the kingdom. And and the supernatural flows out of that heart as opposed to being blocked by it. That's that's how that works. He chose David because David desired the things that he desired so that he knew when the Spirit was upon his life, (coughs) His heart wouldn't block that flow. It wouldn't prevent the supernatural from occurring. But it would encourage it. It would, be, it would, it would chase after it. It would, it would be obedient in those moments. Uh, and and, it, and he, so he, he had that direction. It gave direction and purpose to his life. Before that, it, it, he was probably just searching for it. He was just crying out to God. He knew God was good. He knew God uh, and loved God, but didn't necessarily know what he was supposed to do with that. It, it says in Judges 17:6, it said, and, and this was in the days before this: it said, In those days there was no king of Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. they they didn't know any better they they just they just did whatever they thought nobody nobody they didn't have any guidance they didn't have any direction they just well I, I guess this would be a good idea I guess this would be the right idea they're searching for what God wants maybe God's over here maybe God wants me to do this maybe God wants me to do that but I don't really know but I know that I love God I know that I want to God I want God I want the things of God but don't have that direction don't have that purpose But you look at the story, you look at the story of David, and you see the moment in which the Spirit guided him in every single one. He stepped over his brother's criticism. He didn't shy away from Goliath's threats. He pressed when the king wouldn't allow him to, and he refused the king's advice. He chose the weapons that created an advantage, and he won. He won. Look at every single one of those decisions. Every single one of those decisions went counter to the natural wisdom of that day. But he chose to follow God. He chose to let the Spirit of God guide him and lead him in that moment. And as a result, we have David at the end standing victorious over this mountain of a man. It's amazing because he followed the Spirit. He followed that. But why? Why? Why did he follow the Spirit? Because his heart was after God's. He brought that natural power of himself, that desire, and aligned it with God, and therefore the supernatural was able to occur. And that's, that's sort of the message of, of, of this morning, is we have to assess the state of our hearts. The Spirit enabled David to throw a stone straight and true and take down an enemy of the Lord. But the Spirit is a helper in righteous matters and not self-centered ones talent aids you in whatever you want it to. If you're if you're a great singer, eh, you can sing all sorts of things you want and tell anyone to do anything awful. It's you know, talent talent is indiscriminate. It's just natural. The supernatural is an alignment of our actions with God's will. That's where the supernatural occurs. You take your talent and you say, "God, use my talent. Use my talent to see supernatural, to see the impossible become the possible." David's heart desired after God. He was imperfect. He made mistakes. Yes. I'm sure he made mistakes previous. It doesn't record them. He certainly made mistakes afterwards. But with the Spirit, his inadequacies were nullified. Right. He was made righteous in God's sight, which was without dysfunction, without any, that, without any of that rejection, without any of those issues. God made that nullified. God made that, incons- you know, it didn't matter because God was with him. Any of his natural problems were, were, were reduced. They, they, they didn't even figure in his decision-making. Natural problems, but supernatural solutions. The supernatural occurs when we be- obey. That's, that's the first thing. We obey when our desires are aligned with God's. When our desires follow other things, then we won't obey. And when we won't obey we won't see the supernatural. It says in Galatians 5, 16 to 17, I say then, in the spirit, and uh, in the spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Obedience. Often we see obedience as Doing what God wants us to do, even though we don't really want to do it. You know that sort of idea? It's like, oh, well, you know, I'm going to be obedient because I really want to do this. But God says do this. And because God's bigger than me, I better do this. What if obedience meant doing everything you wanted to do because you and God wanted the same thing? Yeah, that's good. Come on. Isn't that an amazing thought? It says in Romans 8, 5 eleven, Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by flesh is hostile to God. It cannot submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, uh, sorry, let me read that again, And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. We all want to see a miracle, we all want to see a breakthrough, we all want to overcome. But often, that miracle that we desire and crave is within the context of our own circumstances. So I want God to solve this in this way because this would suit me best. Do we ever wonder if it fits within God's purpose? Whether the scenario that we imagine actually fits within what God wants? Because God sees the bigger picture, but we just see what's in front of us. It says in 1 John 4, verse 4, you, who, uh, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than than he who is in the world. How do you want to look at the world around you? you can come up, that, actually. How do you look at the world around you? Do you focus on the natural? The size of the obstacle? The measure of your talent? The condition of your circumstances? Or do you focus on the supernatural? The condition of your heart? The full measure of the spirit? And the size of God? That's, that's a supernatural mindset. I, look, I read about David, and you see the landscape painted before him. You look at every single challenge that he came up against, every single adversary, every single obstacle. But he just saw God's promise. He stood before a giant and only saw God. To me, that is amazing. Amazing. A verse that I've read before, 1 Samuel 16, 7, for the Lord sees not as man sees. The condition of your heart is much more important than the condition of your circumstances. That's when you think about David, when you think about yourself, and David faced a real giant. In terms sorry, when I say a real giant, I mean a natural giant, a person who was a giant. But we face giants and mountains and obstacles in our life every single day whether at your work whether in your home whether in yourself when David stepped onto that battlefield he wasn't focusing upon the size of his enemy but he stood confidently on the size of his God and that's what I want to encourage this day (laughs) I know that that God has a victory for every single one of you this day. It's a victory that that will take you beyond your circumstances. It's incredible when we realize when we look back on seasons of our life where something seemed the most uncomfortable thing, the most insurmountable problem and we look back on it and it's the past. It's no longer our reality. And when when we know that it's a, a a time where God has taken us through that we look at it and it just we can look about how God overcame whatever it was in our lives but then the next mountain seems a little bit bigger, the next giant a little bit more ferocious and I just want to encourage every single person today to know that when your heart when your desires are after God when you set your heart upon God and make him the most important thing When you allow the Spirit that has been placed in your life to minister, to guide you, to take you into uncomfortable places, to lead you down unusual paths, to seemingly take a step backwards when really you're taking a leap forwards. That's what the Spirit does because the Spirit sees all and knows all. And it's our place to trust and know that He is Lord.